Today I will be reading Hosea 3.1 and Luke 1.28. The Lord said to me, Go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love their sacred raisin cakes. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. This is the word of the Lord. Does Luke want to be a doctor like his dad? You might have another calling, son. We'll, we'll talk. Beautiful, beautiful uh, music today. Speaking of music, uh, I loved Stacy's prayer and invoking um, uh, Behold the Lamb. And, and I don't want to single out anybody, but, but Andy Johnson, are we going to get to hear the Begat song at some point? It, not today. <laughs> is it Advent without that Begat song? Is it? It's like getting me not getting an Elvia Foreman cake on my birthday. It's just, I can't imagine that. We'll, we'll, we'll talk, and I'll guilt you into doing it. Okay, now, by the way, Cameron, you were so great. Where are you, Cameron? You were cool as a cucumber. Even I, I just love to picture Belinda Thomas and uh, uh, Sue Davis back there not being able to get the door. I just I loved that. And you, you, were, you were just great, cool as could be. Well, this is third in a series called A Different Kind of Christmas. It's uh, based on a book by Mike Slaughter, which is really inspired by another book he wrote called Christmas is Not Your Birthday. I continue to just love and appreciate that title. As a kid, you're probably not surprised, I loved engaging people in conversation about what they believed about God. Now, let me say, that's not real noble in the sense that I was trying to make a case for Christ for them, not at all. I've just always been fascinated by things about God and about religion. Uh, John Claypool talked about when he was a kid, he always had a preoccupation with the ultimate. And I was kind of that way too. I just was fascinated by talking to people young and old about what they believed about God. But there came a time when I really came to grips with something within me that was not right, that was not complete, this void within me, and I started to understand all the better the concept of sin. And it really sent me on this quest toward ultimately not just having a knowledge God, but a saving knowledge of God. And I was so blessed by that, as so many of you have been as well. Because for some reason I realized, you know, I had to flip the question, what do you believe about God? But really I started to ask myself, what does God believe about me? And I realized, you know, God believes that I'm a sinner, and no doubt I was, and yet I still realized that he believed in me nonetheless, in spite of my neglecting him, in spite of my rebellion, and in in spite of my discarding him so often, he still loved me and believed in me. Loved me enough to set me free from that sin with which I struggle, which is why I resonate so much with what Mike Slaughter says when he says, most of us have no problem believing in God, but struggle in being secure about God's belief in us. Why? Because we wonder, how could he love us by how we dishonor him so often, in spite of how we rebel against him day in and day out, when we fail to listen to him, fail to follow him, why does he continue to love us? Which is why Slaughter begins this third chapter entitled Scandalous Love with that issue of how could he still believe in us? 
And so he begins with a very appropriate passage, Hosea 3.1, which was so well read by Luke just a moment ago, which says, Then the Lord said to me, Go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. This will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. Now, you know the story here. Hosea had his unfaithful wife, Gomer, who prostituted herself, and yet God says, Hosea, go back and love your wife again. Now, that is, that's taking love to a radical, scandalous level, and yet God tells him to do that. And it's a beautiful symbol of what God does, precisely what God does for the nation of Israel that has been so unfaithful to him, who have prostituted themselves against him. And done so again and again, unfaithful again and again. And yet he continues to take them back and lovingly remains faithful to his end of the covenant. You have Gomer, this wife of prostitution who represents God's people, but it's not just Israel. Obviously, it's you and me as well. And yet Hosea represents God's relentless pursuing love in spite of our unfaithful ways. Why does he do that? It's such scandalous love, which brings me to a passage I just love in 2 Timothy uh, 2.23. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. If you translate that directly from the Greek, it literally says, even when we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny his own nature. Well, what is God's very nature? What is God's very essence? It is love. In fact, let me posit that, that love is a better name for God than God is. You could replace words for God in Scripture with love, and that would be just fine. That's a better name for him than God himself. That's who he is. And that's that scandalous love, which is why Slaughter says, Christmas is the heralding of God who comes to be with us. God is the one who pursues. The incarnation is the revelation of God's scandalous love affair with humanity. Can't love us more, doesn't love us less. Uh, um, I have a wonderful student who's been in my preaching class this semester named Carter Jackson, uh, Carter's just a great, great guy. In fact, he plays on, the, on Sanford's ultimate Frisbee team, which plays colleges all throughout uh, the South and Southeast. And uh, do you know who the coach of that ultimate Frisbee team is, by the way? It's our own Stephen Ray. And Carter is a great guy, isn't he? Just incredible guy. And he has been in my preaching class this semester, and it's been so much fun because we always, you know, I'll have the next person step up to uh, preach the sermon that they've been working on all semester. They're all nervous, and so I'll ask a different student to pray for that student just before they preach. Carter did one of the first ones, and it was so beautiful, so good that everybody kept asking Carter to pray, and he became our resident prayer, prayer in residence. And he would end his prayers the same way, and I don't know if he got this from somewhere, but he would always say, uh, may we be faithful to your will, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Did that every time, and we just loved it. In fact, uh, just the other day we finished, we had the last two sermons, and he prayed one last time for somebody, and then I had him close the whole semester with that prayer, and people got all choked up and everything. He did the same thing. Help us to remain faithful to you beyond this class, uh, faithful to you all, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. And, and one reason I think I like it so much is it reminds me of something I remember Philip Yancey saying years ago in his book, The Jesus I Never Knew, which is this. There is nothing more that we can do to make God love us more. There is nothing less we can do to make God love us less. Think about the profundity of that statement, of that reality. 
Nothing we can do more to make God love us more. Nothing less we can do to make God love us less. Because he just loves us. And that's not just a concept. You know, it's a reality made manifest in the incarnation of Jesus Christ coming to earth. Think about it. The incarnation was the most radical way that God could have verbalized his love for us. I can't think of a more radical way of his doing just that. Most of us know who the rock icon Bruce Springsteen is. Recently, Springsteen came out with his memoir entitled Borden to Run, which is uh, the title named after his first big hit, first big album. And uh, recently, when he was promoting uh, the memoir, he was interviewed, I think it was in Vanity Fair, by a guy named David Kemp. And uh, they talked back and forth about how for 50 years now, uh, Bruce Springsteen has been trying to work out his own struggles through his songs. And, And he said one of the bigger struggles he had to try to overcome was his relationship with his father had issues with his father. And, and a few days after the birth of uh, his first son, Evan, uh, Bruce Springsteen's father came along because granddad wanted to lay eyes on his first grandson. So he came along and saw the baby, and then he and Bruce went out uh, to lunch. And it was the first time that, that, that his father was at a vulnerable moment, and he said to his son, Bruce, I wasn't very good to you. And that's all he said. And he went on, and there was this long pause, and David Kemp in the interview kind of waited a minute and, and then said, did you ever hear the words, I love you, from him? And as it says in the article, uh, Springsteen had this, this pained look, and he said, no. He said, the best I could do was I might say, love you, pops, and he might say, yeah, me too. And he said, that was as far as it got. He said, even after his father had a stroke, and sometimes he would get emotional, he would say, love you, Pops, and, and the dad would just say, uh, me too. And as Springsteen said, you'd hear his voice breaking up, but he couldn't get out the words. And too many people have felt the hurt of a parent who couldn't get the words out. And let me just say, that makes the incarnation all the more wonderful. That was God's way of getting the words out to you and me, of his love for you and me. It's God's incredibly scandalous, radical way of saying, I love you. Loving you more intimately than any human being possibly could. And yes, loving you as if you were the only one in the world to love. Now, especially during Christmas, it's up to you and me to get the Father's word out, that very word of love about his son, Jesus. And we've been doing that during this Advent season. I've been challenging you to take some of the money that you would be paying for presents and give to some particular need. Uh, Two weeks ago, we talked about uh, the opportunity that you could do to to give to the uh, David Foreman Scholarship Fund, and I know there's been a good response to that. Good response to last week when we uh, promoted 1040 Connections, which does amazing work really all over the planet. This morning, I want to bring it back close to home again, and we've been giving a lot of energy toward this. In fact, we did the other Wednesday night when we boxed up a bunch of food for folks across town. But I want us to talk about Backpack Buddies, and, and I think most of us might know what it's about, but some of us might not. So I've asked Lynn Lloyd to come up and share a little bit about Backpack Buddies and something you can do this Christmas in place of some presents you might give. And let me just say, Lynn Lloyd is one of the most winsome human beings I've ever met in my life, so thanks for doing this. Oh, she's amazing. Hunger. That's not something we normally associate with the Christmas season, 
And I bet most of us haven't had our stomachs growl since way before Thanksgiving. But a lot of people in Birmingham, um, for a lot of people in Birmingham, hunger is all too um, real a part of the Christmas season. And unfortunately, that's especially true of children. It is estimated that approximately 25% 25 of school-age children and preschoolers don't really know where their next meal is coming from. I know that's hard to believe. Did you know that there were really that many children in Birmingham who faced this problem, and especially on weekends? The term for this problem is called food insecurity, and that's kind of a high-powered term for that. But to me, that term does not seem to adequately describe the heartbreaking effect that that has on children. And we've heard numerous accounts from school officials about children who come to school lethargic, with shortened attention spans, or exhibiting symptoms associated with being sick, all because of hunger. And when Brookwood members learned um, that that many children had this limited access to food on weekends, this fall we started participating in a ministry called Backpack Buddies at Inglenook Elementary School that is a block from True Vine Ministries. And we have partnered with True Vine in implementing this ministry. Brookwood helps with purchasing the food, and the members of True Vine pack the food that goes into the children's backpacks, and they're sent home. This food is sent home with the children each Friday. And the children take home these easy-to-prepare, easy-to-open items like pop-top canned pastas and soups, canned fruits, Snacks and instant oatmeal. And I think you all pretty much have a good idea of these kinds of foods that are sent home on Fridays. Um, But one of the things that I wanted to tell you today is how we got the inspiration for Backpack Buddies at our church. And the source of this inspiration was our own Rosanna. Last year, as um, Jerusalem team chair, I had gone, Rosanna and I were talking about... um, the different ministries that are under the umbrella of the Jerusalem team. And I asked Roseanne, we got through talking about all the different ministries that the Jerusalem team is involved in. I said, Roseanne, is there something that we're missing? Is there something that we need to be doing that we are not doing here at Brookwood? And Rosanna said, you know, there really is. And there's something that I would like to see us do. And that something is to help hungry children here in Birmingham. And Rosanna, and do y'all remember Karen Caputo? That was one of our financial secretaries. Karen's daughter taught at Leeds Elementary School. And one of her students, Karen had, Karen's daughter had found out, um, would go from house to house in her neighborhood asking if they had any food or if they had anything that, they, that she could eat. And that got back to Karen, and Karen told Rosanna, and that just stayed on Rosanna's heart. And then Rosanna found out about the Backpack Buddies program, and she said, you know, Backpack Buddies is something that we can do and that we need to be about doing. So from that point in time, we started working on seeing if we could get this introduced into our mission activities here at Brookwood. And so um, from that point over a year ago, um, this has gone through missions coordinating and has become one of the Jerusalem team ministries. And to give you a current update on things, currently we are serving 73 children. We're ministering to them every week. 
And since Brookwood and True Vine started this program this fall, over 650 weekend um, packs have gone into the children's backpacks up for, uh, over the weekends. We have gotten great response, have great uh, feedback from the school officials. In fact, the principal at Inglenook Elementary has said that he had had several students that come into his school on Monday mornings sick and weak because they have not had much to eat over the weekends. And since this program has started, the children are much um, more prepared to come to school ready to learn. And so we think that is just a great, um, a great benefit. The people at True Vine uh, ha are, are just all over this. When we take food over there, the, there are about eight or ten men that meet us at our car, unload everything, pack it up really quickly. And, y'all, they have, they have these food packages packed up, ready to go on Tuesday mornings, ready for delivery on Thursday to the school. I mean, it's just amazing how this has just taken off there. And one of the men there, James Turner, is the coordinator there. This man is on fire for this program, and he coordinates with Truvine, with um, Inglenook Elementary, and they have got everything down pat. I can't tell you how. This is just going like wildfire there. But I do have a couple of people that I want to thank, too. Um, Ricky, Miss Kelly, I'm so glad that you're here for coordinating this with Ralph in the beginning and getting this going with him and letting him coordinate with Inglenook Elementary because this is, I think this is going to prove to be a great ministry for this neighborhood and for um, True Vine to be able to reach out to the neighborhood in the name of the Lord and to serve the people of this area. Um, Frank Page and Larry Dennis, who have been mission coordinating chair last year and this year, we, um, I think we are serving the Lord the way that you all want to serve the Lord and the way that Brookwood does too. And so after you've heard a little bit of this background right here, this is one of the ways that we would love to have your help this Christmas season in your bulletin insert. You have a sheet that will tell you a little bit more about um, a donation that you can make in honor or in memory of someone. And at the top of the insert, it'll show you the card that you could receive. If you would like to make a donation, all you got to do is call Rosanna. Rosanna, and tell Rosanna who you would like to make a donation in honor of. Rosanna will see to it that the recipient will get the card. She will mail it to them, send it to them. So all you got to do is just contact Rosanna, or if you want to contact me, I'll handle it for you or Jane Cole, who is the Jerusalem team chair. So if you'll just follow the instructions on your bulletin insert, and we appreciate everything that you have done so far this year with the Sunday school class donations of food, your monetary donations, we appreciate this, and we look forward to your continued help. Thank you. Amen. What a great way to get the word out about God's love. It's, it's been so cool to see uh, how True Vine helps us with this and helps with the distribution of it, and they wind up making En-ROADS themselves in uh, that area. And again, it reminds me of what Ralph Garth has done in reaching out to, to the Hispanic uh, community out there as well. Just amazing, amazing stuff going on. Again, a great way to get the word out about God's love and, and, and a tangible way to do it. I mean, you know, it's cool. Cameron, just, you know, you were up here. Where are you, Cameron? There you are. Uh, 
you know, you did such a cool thing today, publicly getting the word out about God's love for you and for other people. And this is another way that, that you and I can do that through giving to Backpack Buddies. So please keep that in mind and maybe take advantage of that opportunity. And let me just close with this declaration. I am confident that God is trying to get a word to you this morning, and I don't know what it is. It could be something you've been struggling with. It could be just a reaffirmation of his love for you, and you're needing to embrace that love, embrace that grace, and and get some kind of guilt um, off of your back. It might be something that you know that he's wanting you to do, maybe embark on some ministry, whether it's backpack buddies or whatever it might be. Uh, But he's trying to get something across to you, and God help us when we don't listen to him Uh, While we're in this context of worship together, if he might have something to say uh, to us. Um, Let me show you another student of mine named Brian Howard. Is there a picture of Brian? That's Brian on the left. He's one of my pre-men scholars. Cool kid, born in South Africa. Uh, His parents were missionaries in Johannesburg. That's his girlfriend, Kendall. You see a little bit of the colors there. Yes, she is a student at Auburn. And she's a unique kid herself. She is getting a, she's going to become a commercial airline pilot. And there are very few women who do that, but she's already logged in all these hours, and she's just a very unique person. Brian is as well. He grew up in South Africa, eventually moved to Orlando, Florida, and that's where they met when they were in a youth group together. Well, uh, Brian told me the other day about something that happened at his church one Sunday when he and Kendall were sitting down uh, for the worship service up in the balcony. And there's a kid there who was also in the youth group named Jonathan, and Jonathan had cerebral palsy, so... You know, you couldn't understand but every few words that he tried to, to labor out. And he had to use a walker, but they said he had the biggest heart. Whenever Jonathan saw somebody that he really was fond of, he would just push the walker away and just kind of violently, you know, uh, walk over, you know, to that person and struggle to get over there and knock people out of the way and then just hug that person. He said he was just so big-hearted. He said, unfortunately, some people tried to avoid him, and that made him sad. So, so Brian, whenever Jonathan wanted to, to give him a hug, he, he would just, you know, wait for him or go meet him halfway. Well, there was this one Sunday where Kendall and, and Brian were um, sitting there in the balcony, and Jonathan saw them, and so he kind of stumbled over to them, and he sat on this side of Brian. Kendall's over here, and he's all excited, you know, and, and, and they're just kind of having some fun there together. And then uh, the worship started, and when it got to the sermon, uh, the pastor got up and said, uh, please open with me in your Bibles too. And, you know, I mean, this, the sermon started, right? Well, at that point, Brian and Kendall, who had not been dating very long, instead of, you know, focusing on that, he began to whisper sweet nothings into her ear and get all flirty and everything. Is that a word? Anyway, get all flirty with, with, uh, with her. And he said suddenly, and he said, Dr. Barnett, it felt like a rabid squirrel was climbing all over me. And, and I said, well, what happened? He said, he said, Jonathan was just, you know, he looked at me with this look of urgency and, and seemed actually upset. And he said, he ripped my Bible out of my hands and, and opened it up and shoved it in my chest. <laughs> and Brian was like, what are you doing? And Jonathan looked at him and said, God wants to talk. And Brian said, I'll never forget that moment because here I was so preoccupied with other things when God did want to talk to me that morning. And I wonder if he might be wanting to talk to you again before you leave this place. Again, the incarnation, how more appropriate yet radical a thing could God have done to get the words out for you and me about how much he loves us? 
but to step out of eternity and into our very lives. So whatever it is he is saying to you this morning, just know that it is framed against the backdrop of that incredible, unconditional, boundless, yes, scandalous love that he has for you. That scandalous love, what a strange way to save the world. Let's pray together. A strange way, yes, O oh God, and yet such an appropriate way, such a real way. What other way could you have shown us your unconditional love more? How better could you have gotten the word out than by sending your son to live with us, to identify with us, to teach us, to live for us, and yes, to die for us, and then offer us new life, eternal life. For all of this, O God, we give thanks, and yet we are so undeserving, but all we can do is offer our thanks back. But even so, O God, help us to take it a step further, and whether it is Backpack Buddies, whether it is uh, the Foreman Scholarship, whether it's 1040 Connections or some other way that we can give just a bit more this year for something that we know will go toward someone in much more need than ourselves. Help us to be motivated to do just that, that you are indeed wanting to talk to us this day. Thank you for your radical love that sets us free. We pray these things in your name. Amen.